Hi, this is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. So this podcast is not a movie review. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's just two people talking about a movie that they love. So the format is each week I have a guest, and I can't wait for you to hear this week. It's my Uncle Gil. He's got a bunch of paraphernalia from the movie Blade Runner that he's going to share with us. Uh, I know you can't see it when you're listening to the podcast, but I will post it uh, on Instagram on uh, my Facebook group called I Love That Movie, and then also on Twitter. And I'll talk about that more at the end. So thanks so much and enjoy. I've got the gun and... uh you know, the action figures and about the ultimate set with the briefcase that they made available about eight years ago. Something like yeah, that. yeah. So so this, you own this. Do you own any other versions of this movie? Well, or all, does it have all the versions are here. Oh, it's wow. It's been made available as one, two, three, four, five. And it's got the making of it, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. And it's got the, uh, the original voiceover narration, which is kind of cool, too. At first, I didn't care for it but then re- later on i i, I kind of like it because it okay. gives you a little bit more information on it and yeah uh, but that's fine that's not my favorite uh, i like the uh i guess the final cut with me the more stuff you can put in a movie if yeah. i like the movie the better it's, it's all good i enjoy it yeah just like the more that are you now you're gonna have to get it on blu-ray too yes exactly oh, on blu-ray exactly yeah exactly so so you need to buy it one more time I will. Exactly. yeah i will i yeah. need to i need to in order for it for me to live i need to buy it <laughs> yeah and for those of you listening out there so i do credit actually my uncle gil with a lot of the movies that i've gotten to see he had a really healthy movie collection when he lived here uh with us with my dad uh for a while so he introduced me to a lot of movies that i really like now and uh just really kind of like broadened my uh I guess my collection and my perspective on movies that I like. So um, this is one of his favorite movies ever. And so when I was thinking about this podcast, this is definitely one of my favorite movies as well. And I was like, okay, it definitely has to be Gil <laughs> that I talk to about this. So I thought of him right away. Um, Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I'll kind of jump into some questions here. Let's see. Okay, Gil. So I'm going to dive into a couple questions here. Uh, when did you first see this movie? Did you see it in theaters or? Well, the first time I knew about it was in the awesome show at the movies with uh, Siskel and Ebert. And oh, this really? This was back in 82, actually, 82, 83 so when, when the it movie came out. came out. Yeah. And uh, I was probably 16, maybe, something like that. Oh, and, wow. Uh, That's a good age for this movie, I feel Oh, yeah. Like. But I, I didn't should. see it then. I, oh, just okay. saw the, I just saw them reviewing the movie. Oh, and gotcha. I was mesmerized with the visuals and the sound yeah. and the whole bit. I thought, this is, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it's unique. And I loved it. And I was like, but I just didn't have any play. I was 16, 15, or 16, living in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, you have no money. I'm just a teenager, just a kid. And so I didn't see it until probably... Late 80s, early 90s, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah, so that was the first time I knew about it. I liked it instantly, but didn't see it until many years later. I saw it on VHS. That's, That's a, I was going to ask yes, you what the, yes. the format you saw it in. That I love asking that the first time <laughs> I saw it. And, uh, you know, it's good. You enjoy it and all, and all that. So that was the very first time I saw it. You know, when I moved from California to Texas to here Dallas. 
So on VHS, is that the original? Like, is, was that the theatrical cut, or do you remember which version of it you no, saw? No, that was the voiceover narration. The, oh, okay, the original okay. Uh, theater. Okay, so when it was in the theater, that was the the voiceover one. Exactly. They added that right because they told really Scott that the movie was like a little too confusing without that. Is that why he added it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. So they brought they brought in. It was kind of confusing. Uh, to a lot of to the people who were watched to the uh, like the studios and so they brought in um, Harrison Ford back to do a voiceover okay yeah and so they did to a lot of people like it is sort of a detective mm-hmm. noir that's what they were doing so like a sci-fi detective noir and it works it, it's good and for a lot of people aren't into movies a lot it kind of explains a lot of stuff yeah actually um, it's interesting that you say that because I saw this movie as the director's cut first at the theater? Um, no no I saw it at home, at home I think okay. I saw it like on on the DVD that I have that okay. was like a five dollar like from Entertain Mart or movie trading company <laughs> yeah. somewhere like that um, but when I saw it I saw it without the narration and I feel like what happened was I saw the movie I thought about it a lot it wasn't what I expected like I think the way this movie looks like if you don't know what this movie's about the way it looks is sort of like a sci-fi action thriller and then when you watch it I mean there is action in the movie but it is not an action-filled movie it's it's more of a thinker you know it's more of a cerebral uh, science fiction movie and so at the end I was kind of like huh I kind of had to watch it again. Like, I immediately thought, I feel like I missed something. And I watched it again and again. And I feel like every time I watched it, I started, I appreciated it more. Mm -hmm. And I like movies like that where you have to think about it. Or you watch a movie again, you notice something new. Or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's got layers to it. I know Ridley Scott is, he's known for adding layers to his movies. Sometimes even more than you'll ever catch. Like, almost on like a Kubrick level of like detail that not everyone's ever going to see everything that he adds um, yeah. doesn't always make it to the final cut but he likes to add things for his audience to like explore and think about and so to me just from that perspective I wasn't as excited about the narration one you know it's like yeah. I don't know yeah. I, I like thinking about all these moving parts but what's interesting is when I talk to people that have only seen the narration part there's a lot of stuff that they don't think about or pick up on because I think the narration one added some finality to certain things that happen in the movie mm-hmm. that shouldn't be there. Like, yeah. well, we can get into it in yeah. a little bit, but there, it answers questions that I like being open-ended, if that makes sense. Sure, so. sure. Uh, the director's cut came out in 92, and that's okay. when I saw it at the theater. I oh, think yeah, at yeah. the uh, North Park Mall, or there used to be a theater across from 75. It's no longer there, but it had a really good system, sound system. That's when I first saw it, yeah. the director's cut, at the theater. So oh, to okay. me, it was like the greatest thing. It's like, finally, I get to see it. Like, as it was meant to as be. As it was meant to yeah. be, you know, without the narration and the director's cut. Even though not the final, but the director's cut, which is fine. They had, a, yeah. they had added the unicorn at that time and, and okay. you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I also read that he kind of pioneered this idea of a director's cut almost. That, like, people were so into this movie, they wanted to see a, a director's cut version. Because I guess he was vocal about... This wasn't really my total vision, and as it kind of got a cult following and picked up steam, people wanted to see that, and that's why he put that out. I don't think before this movie there were a lot where they were re-releasing it over and over and going, there's more, there's more. And now almost every movie has that, and I find myself... like recommending those cuts to people like if there was a movie they didn't like I'm always like would you see the director's cut you know it explains way more and now there's this idea floating around when movies come out is there a director's cut is there more you know like even recent movies like that that Suicide Squad movie that came out you know David Ayers was under a lot of pressure to 
to tone the film down, to make it a certain way. And all the fans are like, I want to see what he had in mind. And he's actually said there, there isn't one. <laughs> there's oh, not another wow. cut of the movie. Okay. But it, it created this idea of like, there's always another cut of a movie, which is great marketing. <laughs> and the beauty of the director's cut is that we get to see it. At, well, this one, we got to see it at the theater because I don't think we had DVD back then. Yeah. I'm not sure if we did or not. This is 92. I don't know. I don't but, oh, my memory's foggy on and that. And so nowadays, the director's cut will come out on, on DVD. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so you don't get to see it at the theater because it, it's lengthened, it's longer. Mm -hmm. And so at the theater, you know, they have to abide by the studios. Okay, one and a half hour, 145 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Director's cut, which is a beauty, is everything that the director wanted you to have, which is great. You know, everything yeah. that he's happy with. Everything he, so he wanted. Maybe that's vision. the difference between this one. You know, you don't, like you said, you don't get to see a lot of director's cut at the movies. Yeah, no. You know, it, like when this one. It's what the studio wants at the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. and so with this one, it came out, it was there, and I got to see it with some friends, and uh, we really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, I was going to say, I have like a couple really fast facts. You know, yeah. we already talked about this movie came out in 1982. I read that it was up against The Thing came out that year, uh, and E.T. Okay. Oh, wow, that's really tough. <laughs> so that's another reason why this kind All of, of them got great. skipped over. <laughs> All of them great. I, yeah. I, I, I love The Thing. I saw Me that. Too, I, I saw The, the thing. thing in uh, Oregon. And so that was a great movie. Obviously, E.T. I also saw E.T. in Oregon. Okay. And I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. But I think my favorite later on it was probably Blade Runner. Probably Blade Runner, The Thing, and E.T. in that order. With yeah. Me. Yeah. I, I think I would I would agree with that. Um, but I can see why it was kind of up, up against stiff competition. That's a lot of competition. Plus, being kind of quirky, as you were saying, it's kind of dark. Yes. It's not a happy movie. And it's sort of a downer. That's why a lot of people did. Because it, it bombed when it came yes, out. Yes, yeah, it I did. Mean, it just mm -hmm. bombed. But great movies, great art. You know, it usually tends to stick around longer. Yeah. I think it took a big risk. Like the other movies we're talking about are a little more crowd pleaser, you know. Yes, definitely and, are. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think this movie, I mean, he called, uh, Ridley Scott called this movie, like, this was his his favorite work. I mean, this is, like, the thing he's the most proud of. And the original cut of it was four hours <laughs> that they had to trim oh down. I'm wow, like, that's, that's way that's too awesome. long. Um, I'd see it. I'd see, I'd see it, it at the too. theater. <laughs> I would just go to the yeah. restroom first and then go see it. Yeah, oh, yeah, the quote was, it was his most personal and complete oh, film. That is awesome. That's um, so cool. When I was watching this movie this last time, I was thinking about, you know how you could tell in the movie, the replicants, they had that uh, the glow. that glow in their eyes. They called that the, I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing this correctly, I think it was like Shushtan process. Man, I don't know. I'm scared to even say that out loud. It's not, I'm not pronouncing it correctly. But the process uh, for that part of the movie was they bounce light off the actor's eyes off of a piece of a half-mirrored glass mounted at like a 45-degree angle to the camera. So basically, you could do that to anybody. But that's so ingenious, because I really like the idea that, you know, you, you know, one of the ways was the tuning test, but then one of the ways was, was that, and that the replicant seems so unaware of it, you know? Yeah. Um, the term replicant doesn't appear in the original novel. Did you know that they, they created that for the movie? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he didn't want uh, Ridley. He wanted something different instead of yeah, just robot just Android or Android or, yeah. or something. Something that separates it. Yeah. yeah. He wants it to be his own. So when uh, novels are turned to movies, usually the director will make it his own. Yeah. Which yeah. is fine. It's a, it's a visual medium instead of a literary medium, which is I fine. I agree. And yeah. I think that's good you, you know you don't want to you don't want to do a, a documentary you're doing a movie yeah, yeah. movies you're dealing with images with images it's your own his own vision of it mm -hmm. and it's going to be different it's not going to please everyone if you like the novel you'll pick it to death if it's a movie but 
you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's a whole different medium. I'm holding in my hands a Blade Runner: The Inside Story by oh, Don nice. Shea. It's a oh, Cinefix. Wow. It's a Cinefix. It goes into cool. all the technical aspects of making uh, Blade Runner. Oh wow! And I haven't read it in years, but it's got oh, it's got Sid Mead uh, uh, futuristic uh, drawings with mm-hmm. color in black and white, and it's got black and white stills of the movie and behind the scenes. Of, uh, that is really neat. The architecture, and it goes into all those specifics, like the eye thing, you know, yeah. the, all that. It goes into all of that. Oh, that's really and, cool. And uh, it's it's that's it's a good good book, to, and it's autographed by probably one of the. Uh, let me see oh, neat. It, yeah, by. Uh, let me see. Really cool. How did you How did you meet them? Or... Uh, well, actually, I didn't. Tony, your your, your dad. Um, so this one's by Gaff. Okay. Your and uh, which is played by Edward James Olmos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And in it, he says, you've done a man's job, sir, at the very end. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so uh, your dad has met him many, many times. And, yeah, of course, he right. does. He cosplays and all that. So, yeah. And that's him, Edward James Olmos, 2, 10, 13. Oh, that's wow. When he did it. So fairly recently. And then this one is, uh, he plays, this is uh, William Sanderson. He plays J.F. Sebastian. Sebastian. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so all he did was uh, to Gill with thanks William uh, Sanderson plays Sebastian. I didn't he was at any of the conventions. I wonder what that might and, have been Dragon Con. Yeah, uh, and then he said uh, Bishop to King Seven checkmate. Yeah, and I love that. So I, I'm that trying to really find cool. really cool things for them to put on there. That's neat. And, uh, and I think I even got a uh, um, uh, different actor. I can't remember what he was, but uh, that goes into the technical aspects of it. Yeah, and that's really oh, okay. neat. Okay, that's goes really into cool. the making of it. Okay. Um, and that one was called the again. Equipment. This one is Blade Runner: The Inside Story. It's a Cinefix uh, publication, hardback okay. by Don Shea. Okay, cool. I'm yeah. definitely going to check that out. Yeah. It's hard to get, by the way. But oh, really? If you can, yeah, <laughs> yeah, look on the, Amazon. Yeah, probably. yeah. Well, you might be able to find it for a thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. And, and then so, what's oh, this, this book? one. Go ahead and read it. If oh, you... yeah. So then, uh, Gil's handing me another book. It says Retrofitting Blade Runner: Issues in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner and Philip K. Dick's Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep? Which I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but this movie is based on that story. Uh, Philip K. Dick's. Novel. Yeah, Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one it says Retrofitting Blade Runner issues. To, okay. This book essays the looks and multitudes of texts and influences which converge in Ridley Scott's film Blade Runner especially the film's relationships to the source novel. Oh, that's really neat. Man, a whole book. See, like, that's what I love about this movie is it's just one movie. It's not like we're talking about a big franchise, but the impact this movie had is really interesting to see, like, the fact that you have... How many books do you have here? Well, and these are not all of them. That's, oh, wow. that's another one. That's The Making. Okay, this is oh, the, the Making of Blade Runner. Future wow. Future Noir, The Making of Blade Runner. Yeah. It's just another one for... Know, more information yeah. and sometimes you know they pull information from everywhere and they'll write another one hey i've got some more stuff i can that say is that really cool this novel. and wow. this is just a counterfeit worlds philip k dick it just goes into some of the background of philip k dick's uh, his his novels and his, his novels his life oh wow you know uh, his thinking mm-hmm. um it goes into other 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 movies as well uh, not just blade runner but blade runner uh, it's a, it takes a big part there yeah, he also wrote Man in the High Castle, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. which, you know. And yeah. uh, The Running Man, they took oh, The Running okay. Man from Philip K. Dick's Oh, really? Uh, See, he's, his name is not one that I that I remember as much when I think about, like, science fiction writers. Like, I read another fact while I was reading about this movie that uh, William Gibson, have you heard this yeah. rumor? That he saw Blade Runner and he, like, left the theater 
supposedly because it looked too much like Neuromancer yeah, to him. Yes. Which, if if you guys don't know out there, uh, William Gibson wrote a, a lot of sci-fi movies that a lot of movies have been based on, like. Uh, the Matrix is a huge one that it pulls a lot from his novel Neuromancer. Just the look, the feel, a lot about that movie. Also, uh, I think Minority Report is based Minority on. Report, yeah. And then lastly, uh, Johnny Mnemonic um, and uh, I think Total Recall. Total Recall, yeah, I believe, yeah. was another one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's been several others. Yeah, uh, so that's a huge science fiction. That's huge for that writer yeah. to have been in this movie theater, and it looks so much like something he was already thinking of that he had to, like, leave. Again, maybe a rumor. I got that off of Wikipedia. may not be 100% correct, but you could see it. There's definitely a connection between this movie, I think, and then it, it was definitely ahead of its time. There's a lot there that, like you said, I feel like when it came out, people didn't respond to it the way that I think they would if it came out now. Like, I feel like now our audiences are ready for this kind of science fiction film. Yes. But it I is, think, It's yeah. sci-fi, and so maybe what they're used to is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Used Something to more exciting. Of, yeah. A bunch of, you know, shoot them up and all that, mm-hmm. and the chase scenes. Although this sort of has a chase it has scene. some it's, of that, yeah. It's a running chasing. Yeah. Uh, it is sci-fi, but it's a very, very dark, which I think Blade Runner was probably the one that started all the other... Mm-hmm. They have this movie to thank, for sure. Exactly, because the look of it, and there was a lot of TV shows that also had Blade Runner-ish, and uh, it's sort of like 2001 uh, influenced a lot of the look Mm -hmm. of other sci-fi movies. This one influenced the look of, you know, darkness, dampness, you Mm -hmm. know, the things that you can do different Mm -hmm. instead of just a clean Star Wars look. Yeah. A more dystopian future yeah. versus, you know, a shiny, bright future that, like, Star sure. Trek promises yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I do. I like this movie, and I, I don't get tired of watching it. I've seen there's it. A lot, there's a lot of stuff to it, and I'm not sure if you've ever picked up on the... Uh, there's religious imagery in it. Oh, okay. And in the very beginning, and then towards the end, when, um, when um, the main uh, replicant, played by Rudger Hauer... Yeah, mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's got, you know, he inserts, he inserts the nail into his hand. Oh, okay. It's kind of like a, a stigmata. Sort of like a stigmata, Jesus, the nails and all. And not only that, but he, he, Rick Decker, he's falling. And so he grabs him. He grabs him. He keeps him from falling. Mm-hmm. And so he uses a hand that has a nail in it. And so he saved his, he saves his life with it. He puts him, puts him over here. And it's unusual because here is a guy, the, the, the Blade Runner has killed his family, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he himself is a uh, sort of like a soldier, an mm-hmm. off, off-world soldier. And now he's asking all these questions. He comes in, he's asking all these questions, and towards the end of the movie, this happens, and, you know, he saves his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful moment towards the end. It's a really interesting moment. Yeah, yeah. If you watch this movie a couple times, there's little clues that Deckard himself is sort of wondering if that's a possibility, right? It's very possible in the director's or the final cut, they give you more information, oh, okay, like from okay. the dreams and the mm-hmm. unicorn and, you know, and also Gaff's, Gaff's statement at the end, you know, you've done a man's job, sir. You know, yeah, sort of it's like, like, what does that mean? What, you know, why, that's such, so weird as if, you know, and so when, also when he uh, leaves the unicorn, yes, like this at the yeah, very end, that could be a clue. the origami, and he kind of steps on it and he looks back and he picks it up and he's like, how would he know that the I unicorn that. in my head unless, you know, and it's like unless he knows something about me, I might not be human, you know, I mm-hmm. might be a replicant, so he knows what's in my head. So I think that's, those are the clues. And of course, later on with the eyes too, it's like they showed him later on. Yeah, having the Very same briefly, thing. having the same eyes, just like um, a Rachel. Yeah, yeah, you Rachel. You know, and the rest of the, and the owl and you know, throughout mm-hmm. the movie. 
And so I think clues like that uh, gives us an idea that he might be a replicant. So okay, but it wasn't. It's not really in the original theatrical. It's not in the original. I feel like that was taken out. Like I feel like. Uh, maybe they pressured really Scott to make a decision. Like, this movie has to be pretty straightforward. You need to tell people what's happening in this yeah, movie. And, and that he did that. And that would have probably maybe brought in too much stuff or maybe mm-hmm. muddied it a bit or saying, oh, you're making it com- more complicated. Yeah, and it's already kind of complicated. It's already kind of complicated with a bunch of stuff that's going on. And so I think that's what happened in, in the voiceover. It doesn't tell you any of that. He's just a regular guy. Yeah. And until much later... Even years later, Ridley was saying, you know, they were asking, is he a replicant or not? And I think later on he said it was. Yeah. So so we're thinking that he is. You know, yeah. One that ages, obviously, in 2049. See, uh, that's, that's what I was thinking. Like, uh, the only reason they don't age is because they're created that way to control them. They have a four-year lifespan. Yeah. And it's so that you can kind of have a, you know, they don't have long enough to yeah. rebel. I mean, this guy gets, Roy gets really close. Yeah. But he can only get so far. And I felt like at the end... When he let him live, that 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 maybe that was part of it. I like, think the idea the idea was that the the motto is more human than human. Yeah. Oh, okay. And in I that, see that. In that sense, uh, not that they have a well, not that they have a spirit. Maybe in this world they do, but I think what happened was they're becoming more. Obviously, they're self-aware. They mm-hmm. want more life, just like everybody else. They all have the same questions. You know, how long? Who made me? Yeah. How For long do purpose? I have to live? Yeah. Uh, how many more years can I extend my life? What can they? And so when he yeah. went to visit Tyrell, he's asking those questions of Tyrell, his maker, you know. And so, and so he wants to know the same things we want to know. Yeah. And at the very end, uh, where he saved uh, Deckard's life, he grabs him and he puts him over to the side, and he's just sitting there. And he's telling him, you know, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships and fire off the shoulders of Orion. You know, I've seen sea beams glitter in the dark near Tannhauser Gate. You know, and I think Rudger wrote that. Yeah, he kind of improvised it. He got improvised yeah. in his. I mean, it's forever. He got it's really beautiful. into that role. He plays. Oh yeah, the heck out of this he, role. He's great. <laughs> and at the very end, if you notice, when he's sitting down, when he says, you know, all these moments lost like tears in the rain, which is beautiful imagery, beautiful yeah. poetry. You know, it's beautiful ending to the film. A dove is, he's holding on to this dove that we don't see until later on. He's got a dove, and so when he dies, the dove is released. You see it in the background in two scenes, really quick scenes. Sort of his spirit, the spirit yeah, of, the, the uh, of the of the replicant. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, it's like, did he achieve humanness? Full consciousness, Full yeah. consciousness, humanness. Mm-hmm. And so there's his spirit. That's another religious symbol of yeah, the spirit. Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's really disturbing to Deckard when Rachel, when he realizes Rachel doesn't know that she's one, that she's a replicant, because then his whole mission in determining if you're replicant or not, I mean, I feel like it had an edge of like, this person is deceiving me, or this replicant is a deceiver, and they're playing at being a human, and then he has to catch them. Well, what about a replicant that isn't participating in that because they don't know? Then that makes his whole process of outing them and killing them I mean, it starts to make him feel bad about it, right? It starts to make him question it. And it makes him question himself. Because if they're not aware, I mean, that opens up a big can of worms of, what does that mean? If they're not aware, then are they human in some way? And if they're not aware, am I not aware? I've had some little red flags throughout my life. There's things I can't remember or whatever. Or things that are similar. He sees a pattern Mm -hmm. and that he's a part of that pattern. And so, yeah, I think by the end of the movie, it just... You know, Roy sort of voices all these thoughts that uh, Harrison Ford's character has throughout the movie. He puts it all in like one monologue at the end. It's kind of like 
summarizing the point of the movie about humanity and what it means to be human. Like it's it's a really good ending. Deckard is talking to Tyrell and and he's, they're talking about Rachel and he asked Tyrell, "How can it not know what it is?" Yeah. You know, and so and so you have that real interesting. These people, these replicants, walking around thinking they're human. Yeah. How is that different they look from at, being human? Yeah. And it's like I cannot know what it is, and so. Uh, it just brings into the question, you know, what are we as humans? How do we separate ourselves from them? Are we going to get so technologically advanced that how can you, what's the difference? Yeah. What, what make, I think the the whole movie is like, what makes you human? What makes you human, human and uh, the morality of it? It's like, should I be hunting these people? Yeah. People that don't want to be killed. And also the way they hunt them down, it's so brutal. And I feel like even before that, he kind of, has misgivings in a lot of the scenes when he's like hunting them down and killing them. It's, I mean, it looks like he's killing a human and he can't, he kind of can't really escape that. And they always, they praise him a lot in the movie. Like, Oh, he's killed. All, you know, all oh, these. Yeah, they call him a one man slaughterhouse. Yeah. And he's not ever comfortable with that title. Yeah. Like you can and tell. So he, he really didn't want to do it, but he said, you know, you're little people. If you don't, if you're not a blade runner, then you're nobody. You're going to yeah. stay at the bottom you know, with the rest of society, you mm-hmm. know, so they bring him back into, a, I guess, apparently, I guess he was sort of retired. He didn't want to do that anymore yeah. or whatever. And, and so I think, I think uh, with the Rachel thing, he's questioning himself. He's saying, you know, I, I'm not comfortable doing this anymore. You know, these, yeah. people, these replicants, they have feelings of their own or they want to live, you know, yeah. are we to tell them, you know, we created them. Yes, but we can't just kill them and you know, retire them as they they want to euphemism you know, yeah you see, they want to retire them and at the very end he's killed all of his all of his family friends uh roy roy batty he saves him you know it's almost like he's more compassionate on the blade runner that was trying to kill him and then he was on him yeah mm-hmm. and so by then he's like he's he's rethought the whole thing mm-hmm. and uh he's like i'm out of here yeah i need to get out and so the ending you know the ending in the in the first theatrical version was they call it the Hollywood ending or the happy ending. Yeah. If you remember, he's driving out in his spinner, he's taking off. You know, and and they show him, you know, in a very long shot, windy roads, and it's very green and mm-hmm. forestry and all that. And it's like, and you're like, wait a minute. And the problem with that is that wait a minute, you live in this city in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. 2019, I believe. Yep. And it's huge and sprawl is everywhere. And I think in the original books. Uh, it was connected. LA was connected. They were going to call it um, San Angeles. San Angeles. Yeah, it was yeah. connected. Mm-hmm. It was sprawl, you know, whatever. Like to San Francisco. And yeah. so you have acid rain. You have all this, you know, broken down systems. And uh, wait a minute, if they're escaping into the forest, you know, well, I want to live over there. I don't want to yeah, live over here. Yeah, everyone would just go there. Everyone <laughs> just go there. So it didn't make sense. Yeah. And so they cut it out. And I think the beauty of it uh, is that he leaves. He finds a unicorn, and then as soon as he walks into the uh, the elevator with Rachel, the elevator doors just slam shut, and you know the music goes up. I think that was brilliant because it leaves it up to you to determine. Yeah. I hope they got. I hope they get away. They yeah. want to get away. They should, you know. And Gaff, to his credit, he didn't get Rachel. He knew where Rachel was at at all times. He knows where Rick Deckard is at all times. But, but maybe alone. this was a clue that the unicorn could have been a clue that he was sort of leading him to this conclusion as well, or he could see that Deckard was coming to this conclusion yeah. about the morality of killing these replicants. And that was part of why he let her go because, you know, they're kind of on the same page and he was sort of a wise man throughout the movie yeah. 
leaving little clues here and there yeah. until the very end. Yeah. And so it sort of comes full circle, kind of. Yeah. yeah so he let he leaves him, and he's going to be in the next uh, Blade Runner. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know he yeah, was yeah, cast gonna, as well. Yeah. 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 He's going to be there a little bit. I wish Rachel, you know. Oh yeah, Sean Young. Sean Young, but she's had a lot of, you know, she's a lot of issues, you know. Oh really? Cast with difficulty trying to get back into Ridley's grace, good graces. Or oh whatever, really? What did to, she yeah. do? Uh, I don't know. Just bursting into parties and bursting into things, you know, being yeah. loud and wanting to be in the next, the next movie, the next Blade oh, Runner, or whatever, you know. And the, she kind of um, ruined that. Yeah, I think so, and I would love to see her, even in a cameo, yeah, anything, yeah. it would be great. I didn't um, recognize, I was reading about her, and I didn't realize she was in a, I think it was Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura, Pet, yeah, detective, she was, yeah, she was on Finkel there. and Einhorn. She was a, yeah. one, of the de- one of the detectives, exactly. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, the fun. detective at the end that was a, a guy, yeah. But one thing one thing at the end, I'm not sure if you know this, oh, yeah. at the very end, in the, in the theatrical version, when they're taken off in the spinner, mm-hmm. they're in the wild, they're in the trees, you know, the forest and all that, that that's actually footage from The Shining. I did read that, yeah. Read that? that he he called uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick yeah. and said, "Hey, you know, I need this. What what can I do?" He said, "Well, what you do if you're in the car, if you stretch it, it almost looks like a spinner. If you stretch, because it, it was in a Volkswagen oh, wow. bug and they're yeah, driving. Yeah, yeah. So I say, if you stretch the film a little bit, it kind of looks like a spinner. And if it's going so, it's so far away, and it's just windy. So oh. and it's so fast, you really can't tell. You'll just accept that it's a spinner taking okay. off, but it's actually Kubrick's." Shining, where they're driving, you know, and he takes yeah. far away on, on the windy, windy street. So that's that's a really interesting connection. And the Shining came out in 1980, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so he called Kubrick. Yeah, says, "Hey, can you?" And so Kubrick sent out like years worth of footage, you know. And wow. so he had to like go through it, and so that's what they used at the end. It's kind of really interesting. Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. So for Ridley Scott, kind of going, we're kind of jumping all over that's the place fine. here. I was telling uh, Gil before we, we started recording that I I think it's really interesting that Ridley Scott has done so many different types of movies. Like, in my mind, uh, just because I wasn't a moviegoer <laughs> when some of these movies came out, I kind of have an idea in my head of like what kind of director he is. But I think he's a little more diverse than I thought. Because when I think of him, I think of this movie. I think of Alien, uh, Prometheus, you know, along this vein of sort of like uh, colder, more cerebral, darker sci-fi. But I mean, he also did Black Hawk Down, Gladiator, uh, Thelma and Louise. That he is a Thelma really Louise, weird exactly. one. That yeah. that is so interesting to me. <laughs> uh, he did uh, The Duelist. Was probably yes, his that's first like his film. first movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot to say The Martian too. I like that movie. I thought that the was Martians, really different yeah. for him because it was like very lighthearted <laughs> and yeah. i liked it okay alien the well the duelist alien uh blade runner the app obviously the apple uh mac commercial for 1984 oh yes kinda, like, yes uh, throw him into his name into the he did legend with tom cruise oh yes legend yeah side of the theaters really interesting somebody to watch over me which was pretty interesting normal normal crime film mm-hmm. his, all his movies are interesting i mean they're well directed yeah. and all mm-hmm. that they're not all great uh but They'll, they will all, always keep your interest. I liked Prometheus. Prometheus uh, has a lot of callbacks to this movie, I feel like. Don't you think? Like, there's some ideas in Prometheus about being human, and I think particularly with David. He did with David, and then yeah. uh, Williams coming up mm-hmm. you know, on the next mm-hmm. one. I think those are some really good ideas yeah. that he's exploring. I got a Blu-ray, I saw it, and I thought, you know what? And I've been reading, reading a little bit more about it, and I thought, you know what? I, I think really I like the this. ideas. And, you know, honestly, I feel that way about most of Ridley Scott's movies. I think I like 
his ideas and his philosophy and messages that he puts in these movies more than the characters. I, yes, exactly. I and think, I feel that yes. way even about Blade I think, Runner. I think that that's, that that's what you have a hard time with possibly the first time you see the movie is like, I didn't really feel a deep connection to Deckard. Or, I mean, I feel like Harrison Ford's so different in this movie because, you know, as Han Solo or as Indiana Jones, I mean, he's just so instantly relatable and warm and like, I mean, he's still kind of like a subdued sort of, he plays it cool. He's not, like, super warm and friendly. But I'm just saying, like, he's a lot more relatable and likable. But I don't think Deckard's like that. Like, I don't feel, watching that movie, I don't go, man, Deckard's so cool and I really connect with him. Like, he's kind of just there. I don't know. Like, and all the characters are sort of... They're all... They're just vehicles of the story. They're just passing along another all message. They're enthusiastic. Yeah. And they're very low, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's, it's sort of... A, the ideas are very provocative. Just like in Prometheus, yeah, you know, the very ideas, thoughtful yeah. ideas. You have to think about them, which is great. That's fine. It makes for a wonderful conversation and all that. Uh, I think that's with Prometheus. I came around finally and said, you know what? I love this movie. And the other uh, sci-fi horror, my my all-time favorite is Alien, which is also yeah, really yeah. That's one of my all-time favorite movies as well. And so both of them, Blade Runner and Alien, is like Blade Runner is my favorite sci-fi probably, and then Alien, my favorite sci-fi horror. If you mm-hmm. want to do another genre to connect it together uh, which interesting that it's the same director yeah yeah you know, but I love the look I love the pacing wonderful the pacing, pacing of it and really uh, good in, in Alien I think the characters are closer a together stronger they're yeah. stronger they're more intimate they're more involving you know and uh, but uh, they're both wonderful movies you know um, going back to Blade Runner uh, what um, do you have any you have some notes here. What did you kind of want to share? Uh, uh, what keeps me coming back, I think, oh, is yeah, one of yeah. the things. Oh, um, yeah. Well, yeah. With what, Blade what Runner, back? What, I think it's probably, like we had discussed earlier, the uh, the uh, the practical effects over the CGI. Mm-hmm. That's almost practical. There's mm-hmm. no CGI. It's hardly any computers back then. Yeah. Now. Everything is hardware. Everything is built. Miniatures everything is nailed stuff, down. Yeah. Miniatures or everything is, you know, and, and the stuff they did, did with lighting and smoke, and it was just wonderful. Yeah, I still don't know how they did the uh, the spinners when they're taking off and going yeah. around the buildings and then coming in and it was just amazing what they did in 1982, which yes. is you know we're in 2017 now, and it looks wonderful still. Yeah, and I think it's the the cinematography, the direction, and the sound, the the soundtrack. I have two three versions of the soundtrack. Oh really? The music itself is sort of a, it puts you in a mood. Yeah, it puts you in a very very. I don't know if it's a relaxed mood, but it transports I, you. Whenever I've heard it, it transports you, you know, and it puts you in a different world. Well, I think you have this book uh, that says Future Noir. Like, I, I think that that's the tone of the music. It's like, it sort of reminds you of, like, black and white noir film, the soundtrack a little bit in certain parts. But it, it's futuristic at the it same time. It does have that jazzy. But it has that, yeah, it, it you know, and the, and the whole movie has that feel. I've heard people actually complain about some of that noir aspect of the movie, which I'm like, what? No, it, that's like why I like, part of why I love this movie is because of the aesthetic of this movie. And that includes how it looks, but also how it sounds, the soundtrack. Exactly. So I, that, I think it adds a lot. I like, think so too, because it is sort of a detective, mm-hmm. you know? And so with noir being the darkness of it, I think they did some add some jazz to it. Yeah, yeah. Jazz, jazzy music, like in the original noir in the 40s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so, but futuristic sounds, you know, Bengalis did a really, really good job with it. They, everything comes together. Yeah. And 
I think that everything came together and it created a great work of art in film. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's still here with us. And it'll be here for many, many more years to come. Yeah, I think uh, what I'm gathering, too, from what you're saying is, like, the, you like this movie so much because there's so much to take in. Like, it's not just a straight narrative. It's um, It asks a lot of questions. Um, the music adds a lot to it. The look. Everything about it. So you're able to, like, just take in so much. And that's why there's so many books about it questions about it you said you have more than one soundtrack you said I have, there, right? no, there are several soundtracks oh, really? of, of Blade okay. Runner and there's even offshoots like uh, offshoots of it that oh, remind okay. you of Blade Runner so <laughs> Blade it's kind of weird that's where, you know so but also the architect Sid Mead the futurist uh, uh -huh. designer he puts all this stuff and so you go back and you try to enjoy the architecture yeah it, yeah one it says retrofreighting oh. uh, Blade Runner and it goes into the uh the architecture it goes into the uh, the look of it yeah and it's almost like real life this is how it's sort of like when you put your money you park parking meters they have parking meters but of the future if you ever go back oh, in okay. our streets they have weird futuristic looking parking meters on and everything looks real everything looks like yeah. it's usable mm -hmm. and it's been you know you have the city and then they put more stuff on it and more stuff on it and then more stuff yeah, on more it more layers know, to more it, layers yeah. to it and so it looks like it's been here for another. It's been here for about 100 years, 150 years, mm -hmm. and so they just keep adding on to it. But you go back and uh, you you. It's like a great work of art. I'm the kind of movie goer that I want to leave a movie and have a lot of questions and thoughts, and I, I want there to be more there, you know. And so now with Blade Runner 2049, it'll it'll answer a lot of those questions. Mm -hmm. And it's not the same director, but no. when I saw who the director would be. I got excited. I was actually at first not excited. I went, if really Scott's not doing it, I don't want to see it. But then when I saw, uh, I have to look up his name because I can Denis, never. Denis Villeneuve. Okay, they, yeah. thank you. The pronunciation part. I think it's Canadian <laughs> French, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He, when and I... he did Prisoners, uh, Sicario, and uh, Arrival. Arrival. He did another um, movie called um, Incendies, mm -hmm. which I have on Blu-ray. You might want to see it when you see it. Um, I read a lot about it. I haven't seen it, yeah. but I read a lot about it enough to make because of him. Because yeah. I bought it because of mm -hmm. him. I ordered it. I want to see it. Um, but as soon as I heard that Ridley wasn't doing it, I thought, well, you know. But as soon as I heard it was the knee doing it, I thought he's perfect. no. I, I yeah, exactly. I had no more questions because I, prisoners. As, as soon as I heard it was him, it's like cause, as soon as I because I remember seeing prisoners and I was yeah. floored. I was Dude. like tired at the end of that movie. I was exhausted. Yes, I'm like, oh was, my god, what's going on here? The way this engages you and leaves you with questions. This movie, you know, older movies like uh, Seven or um, I don't know, just movies like this where at the end you're kind of left with a bunch of questions and it was shocking it was so refreshingly different i feel like late before prisoners i was f feeling like okay i haven't seen anything that is different and engaging that grabs you. And, yeah engaging just, that's well yeah. done exactly and so i thought man it, it when that prisoners movie it reminded me a lot of like i said it kind of reminded me of seven that's a little seven, bit yeah. well, it reminded me of like aronofsky's movies it reminded me of like you know a Requiem for a Dream and movies like that. Very dark very, and complicated. Yeah, you know? it's psychological um, yeah. and, and you're kind of wondering what's real, what isn't. Even Kubrick. And then you take yeah. your positions and, okay, I don't think that way anymore. Now that I have a little bit more information, I'm, I'm going to think yeah. this way and not think that way. You know? It's so, rare when a movie truly surprises you. Like, I, I walked, I got to the end of that movie truly surprised by the ending. I was like, didn't see that coming. You know, maybe I started to put together a little, but I feel like that movie several times turns in a different direction yes. to where you're like 
well, that's not true now. This is true now. You know, yeah. and it was like, well, it, I was it, really excited it, by that. So I thought the idea of him doing Blade Runner, like, I have no concerns now. <laughs> when, when I first, it was him doing it. And I remember Prisoners and the reaction I got from watching, I said, he's perfect for it. Yes. Said, it's like he really I said, I'm happy it. that it, they gave it to him. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes when things are rebooted, I, I don't actually have any problems with re- reboots. A lot of people do. Um, my only concern when something is rebooted is it's very hard to capture what the fans saw in it and what they really liked about it. I think sometimes, kind of like when they did this live action of Ghost in the Shell and it hasn't gone over that well. So Ghost in the Shell, uh, it sort of originated as born out of... I mean, you can actually even thank Blade Runner for Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, like exactly. And, and the things that people liked about Ghost in the Shell are similar to the things they liked about Blade Runner. Ghost in the Shell has a, a you know very sexy woman shooting everybody, but... That's not what it's about. You know, it, it's about this question of, am I human? Yeah. Uh, what does it mean to be human? Yes. There's metaphysics mm-hmm. tied to it, which is, it's always good. It's always a good thing yeah. to question a lot of things. And they, this newest one, I haven't seen it, but I heard that yeah, they pulled a lot of that out of it because they didn't think American aunties no, yeah, would react yeah. to it. So they basically turned it into another movie. They're taking the heart out yeah, of it. Yeah, the heart out of it. Yeah. Someone called it, my friend Cody, he called it a... Uh, the shell with no ghost. <laughs> oh, that's really good. The yeah. shell with no ghost. And he said, that's he really was good. like, it looked great, which, you know, the original Ghost of the Shell movie looks amazing. It looks amazing. You know, the character is, it's very sexualized, but that's not what it's about. It's yeah. like those ingredients of a really exciting action movie are there, but there's a lot more behind it. So I would say Blade Runner is kind of like that, except that even take even more of the action out of it. It is just a lot of really interesting concepts, a really good aesthetic, and a great soundtrack, and just, you know, cool ideas, and something new and refreshing, and that's what fans like about it. So as long as when they reboot it, they can capture that heart of it again, I think audiences will really respond to that, and I think that uh, this new director, you know, from his other work that I've seen, it's like most of his movies are very refreshing and interesting and engaging, and they almost always have a bigger message and yeah. thought behind them so that yeah. you leave and you're, you're thinking about it. And I mean, I think, our, I think audiences are ready for that now. You know, you've got stuff like, like Westworld and uh, um, Battlestar Galactica, you know, these yeah. sci-fi shows that ask bigger questions. Yeah, very meaty. Yeah. Exactly. And I think we have Blade Runner definitely to thank as like a forerunner for that. It, you know, audiences at the time didn't all appreciate it the way that Ridley Scott intended but the hardcore fans like yourself that from beginning to now are still so invested in it, I think that that just goes to show what a work of art it is, like mm-hmm. you said. It is. It is. It's sure. visually a work of art and then yeah. also just a great story and a lot of great ideas. So I think I think that's why it's so uh, interesting. Because of the constant rewrites in the original Blade Runner, the, mm. the, 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 the script and all that, there was constant rewrites. So there was a lot of pressure. There, everyone was working in a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And it was Ridley Scott's probably second movie he's doing. So he was the second or third, apart from all the commercials he had done mm-hmm. and all that. So he was also... He's young. Un- he's young. Uh, he was also under the gun. There was a lot of pressure. And, and, and as it happens a lot in filmmaking, even when you're under a lot of pressure, uh, they come out with a good product. Yeah. Just like the movie Spielberg's movie Jaws. That was done under a lot of pressure, a lot of these technical problems. They didn't know what they were going to do. But now it's a, it's one of my favorite all time. That was my first film I've ever saw as a kid. Oh, at, really? At the, at the cinema oh, was Jaws. We should talk about Jaws then. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies yes. ever. And yeah. so I was uh, 
I was nine years old, nine or ten when that movie oh, came wow. out. Oh, wow. My okay. parents took us to go see Jaws, and that was my first movie at the theater. Wow. It's great like, that you can remember that, because I, can, yes. I can't really, and my, I think my I, first one was like Cinderella or Cinderella, something. Cinderella, yeah. So my parents were like... <laughs> it's like four. Yeah, so it's not as... Like, when people ask me that, I'm yeah. like, oh, no, I don't have a good answer. So oh, what do you have this here? This is the official collector's edition uh, souvenir magazine that... Uh, um, 150 oh, wow. photos, an art complete movie story souvenir magazine. It's got a bunch of artwork in there. It's really, really cool. That's neat. So, yeah, yeah Gil's giving me a, a, a magazine. the late 80s, or actually, right, maybe 84, maybe when it came 85, something like that. Yeah, so do, is, did this movie turn you into a collector? Like, were yes, you collecting uh, yes, stuff? Yes, it did. Uh, not really until I started buying stuff like this because I loved the movie. And you know what? I, even at this point, I bought this. I hadn't even seen the movie yet. Really? Yes, you were that I bought drawn it. To yes, the, I was so look. drawn to it. Exactly. Well, I haven't I think, even seen the movie. I think the scarcity of it, like you said, it was a bomb at the box office. It was a cult classic. It sort of creates this, I've got to collect everything because there's not a lot out there and I need more and there's not more. So I'm just going to grab onto whatever well, I can. Books, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have now, maybe yeah. I didn't have those thoughts. I just loved it. <laughs> I just loved the movie and I loved seeing it. And so I was like, I got to buy this just from the review at Siskel and Ebert. I wow. said, this is wonderful. So I went over there, I got it and I was like, you know, so it's, that's that. Okay. This is the comic book. Oh, comic books. One and two. It's the entire movie. Oh, one. and they're Marvel. I didn't know that. Yeah. One and two. They did that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. 60 cents when they came <laughs> out. Now they're like $4 a issue. And this is the uh, Marvel Super Special Blade Runner combined. Those two are combined. Oh, okay. The so official this is adaptation. Like... You can read it on there. That's so neat. Okay, yeah. This And he handed me Marvel Super Special, the official adaptation of the new science fiction thriller starring Harrison Ford. I love this artwork on here. Yeah. Yeah, these are really cool if you guys... I think what I'm going to have you do is take pictures of all oh, this well, stuff I'll so I can it, like put it and be like, hey, check out it's these really pictures of, of this paraphernalia And I also have well. the poster, the iconic poster. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's, it's in storage, oh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, right, it's huge. All these books. Have you read through these books? Yeah, they're they're fun. I have, oh, I have, I have a couple of um, uh, biographies of uh, Philip K. Dick and all of his works. And of course, wow. they talk about Blade Runner as well. Yeah, it's kind of like if you get into this movie, it introduces you to this whole world because in addition to Ridley Scott crafting such an interesting story, he's got all this creative input. So it kind of there's more there. Like you said, you end up reading about the author, you read about um, the set designer. Yeah, Ridley Scott just has such an eye for finding creative people. He does, just people. like in the movie Alien. Yes, the aesthetic he, he, of Alien. As soon as they just... introduced him to H.R. Giger, yeah. he said, this is it. He called his whoever his company and said, "You know what? We found the uh, alien." Because when you think about it, so when you bought, is this the this is the first thing you bought this magazine? The very first thing was mm -hmm. what was this? Okay. Very first one. was that yeah. magazine? Was yeah, the Blade Runner souvenir magazine. Yeah. And then that and led into all this other stuff. So how years long? later? Years yeah. later. Oh, this oh okay. Decades later. Yeah. Decades later, because I saw this. I got the magazine, the collector's edition souvenir magazine. Then I saw the movie years later, mm -hmm. and then I started you know, much later. Started collecting this, the books, the the comic books, you know. And this is probably the latest edition was probably this, the gun. Yeah. You know, and then this one I like this because it's very very technical. This is hard to get actually. Yeah. Yeah, we get it. Uh, it's a very technical. Uh, well, it, it makes me want to like the fact that you have okay four books. <laughs> here. It makes me want to to 
read more about it for sure. Um, how do you, how would you pitch this movie to someone new? Like, would you, if someone hasn't seen it before, do you go, okay, well, let me pull out my five books, my comic books? <laughs> or how, how do you sell this movie to somebody? How I would pitch it, like to who, to a friend or to a studio? Yeah, like or just, to... just to somebody that you're like, I really want you to see this movie and here's why. Like, what do you, what is, what, why should they see this movie? This is some really, uh, this is some really thoughtful sci-fi that's different probably from what you're used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a it's not a shoot 'em up uh, in that sense. It's not Star Wars, but uh, it is very uh, very meaty. Mm -hmm. uh, it brings up a lot of questions about a lot of things, especially uh, who we are as humans. Yeah, and uh, it's a serious treatment. Get ready to see a serious movie. Yeah. So yeah, I would. I think I would. Like I said, I always already kind of touched on why I would bring someone back to this, but. Um, yeah, thank you so much for being here, You're Gil. Welcome. Thank you for showing me all these books and uh, collector's it. items. It's This yes. is really cool and pretty exciting. I'm going to put up some pictures for you guys to see some of this stuff because uh, my hope from listening to this podcast is either you love it as much as we do or this will inspire you to go see it because I think that this movie is worth seeing. I think everybody that loves movies should see this movie at least once. I do put it in that high regard. Yes. Like. Um, I know you love this movie, but I, I, you know, maybe I don't love it as much as you. I don't have this much of a collection. However, I, I completely understand it. When I see all this stuff, I think, yeah, this is, this is what this movie does to you. Be yes, careful, guys. Does. Yes. Watch this movie. You may end up buying the DVD three Obsessed. times. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, different versions. Of depending it. on how you see that, it could be a good or bad thing, but. I think it's a good thing. I think any movie that can give you more and walk away with more questions and, than answers and a desire to collect it, I think is successful. So, yeah. see, it, see it first before you see 2049. Yes, Blade see it Runner. soon. Yes, yes. When does that come out? Do you know when uh, it comes out? I think it comes out in October. October. Okay, so yeah. you guys have time and you have time to start your collection. So, yes. Okay, well, thank you so much, Gil. You're we'll, welcome. we'll definitely do this again. So, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And if you want to check out all these pictures of uh, the collectibles that my uncle was sharing about in this podcast, you can reach me at AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Twitter under Ayanami Lisa, which is AYA and as a Nancy, AMI Lisa, all one word. Um, and you can also, if you want to be added to our Facebook group that's just called I Love That Movie, send us a request and I'll have all these images on there. And I can't wait for you guys to see them. I think it's so cool. I love when people are this into a movie. This is exactly why I did this podcast and I can't wait to hear from you guys. Um, and also, if you guys could leave us a review on iTunes, again, if you do leave us a review, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card. And who doesn't love gift cards to see movies? you're listening to this podcast, I assume you love movies. Uh, also want to share with you, we've got a new logo out. So really excited about that. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys next time.